the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to another thrill-packed edition of Unite IE Radio, the radio show for the most important political office, that of the private citizen. My name is Greg Britton with the Redlands Tea Party Patriots. I'm joined by my co-host Don Dix, the chapter leader of Act for America in Corona. And uh, today, and the timing almost couldn't be better given the news this week, is we have as our guest for this show, Philip Haney. And in case you're not already familiar with Philip Haney, he was an intelligence analyst for the Department of Homeland Security from when it was formed. He had the the, special, the added ability that he reads, writes, and speaks Arabic, has extended and traveled extensively in the Middle East prior to joining the department. And we're going to tell a story here, but he was ultimately forced out for being too effective at identifying Islamic terrorists for the Obama administration. And he's written a book called See Something, Say Nothing About His Experiences. And we just cannot say enough uh, and thank you enough for joining us here on United IE Radio, Philip. Very glad to be here. And not only thank you for being with us, but thank you for the courage that you had to stand up and share your story uh, publicly. Write the book, uh, get this very important uh, information out into the public domain, because we've known all along about the purge that was happening within the Obama administration, people with intimate and effective knowledge to help our country and really Western civilization fight against uh, this clash of civilizations. I heard it put recently, this is not a clash of civilizations. This is Western civilization against barbarism. I think if, in fact, it was uh, Gert Wilders that said that the evening that you were honored uh, by the uh, uh, American Freedom Alliance Alliance at a dinner with Gert Wilders, uh, honoring David Horowitz, and quite frankly, you're my personal hero that was on the stage that night, and it's great to have you in studio with us and acknowledge you for your work and to get your insights about what's unfolding now uh, in in this fight, in the, the effort to drain the swamp. So much to talk about with you, so thanks for joining us. Well, I appreciate your compliments about being courageous, but I can tell you that all my colleagues and fellow Law enforcement officers and military personnel have just the same amount of courage. We took a vow to help protect our country from threat, both foreign and domestic, and we all take it very seriously, all the more so as we see the things that are happening around us in our country. Let's spend the first part of our show introducing you to our listeners who may not be familiar with your book or your uh, work within the Department of Homeland Security to get them up to speed with what was it that you were doing uh, within the Department of Homeland Security. I know you had a broad uh, experience, starting with Customs and Border Enforcement, Border Patrol, and then segueing into the targeting center within the DHS. So give us a little bit of that story to familiarize people with your field of expertise. I mentioned that I was a founding member of the Department of Homeland Security because 
that sets the stage for the story that I tell. I was there from the very first day, literally. We knew for about a year that the Department of Homeland Security was going to be christened as a new agency. That actually happened in March of 2003. And several different former separate uh, branches of the government like Customs and like immigration in my former department, agriculture, were blended into a new agency called Customs and Border Protection. The ones with the blue uniforms, if you travel internationally, you'll see them. They take your passport okay. and ask you questions. So I was there from the very beginning. And I had this background in the Middle East and when my former career as an entomologist. By the way, I went to graduate school at UC Riverside. That's right. Mm. That's right. right. You're a local guy. Yeah, just right here. It's deja vu all over again. Absolutely. Right? And so having that background in the Middle East and having studied the language and theology, language of Arabic and the theology of Islam, while I worked in the Middle East so frequently, I had this uh, skill set that really didn't have any market value until, unfortunately, 9-11. And then when, with so many of us, when 9-11 happened, everything changed mm -hmm. in, a, in a moment of time. And suddenly I was in a position to offer some of the background and skills that I had acquired over the years in my first career as entomology, agricultural entomologist. That's bugs. And so I immediately went to my local congressman, Max Cleland, and he wrote a letter on my behalf to the first Secretary of Homeland Security, Tom Ridge, recommending that Mr. Ridge hire me into the new department. That It didn't happen that way. I went in another way. But eventually I found myself uh, as a founding member of the Department of Homeland Security. And I began immediately to send uh, observations, we call them intel reports, up the chain of command based on current events, like Osama bin Laden's declaration of global jihad, up the chain of command. Okay. They eventually said, we really don't know what to do with you, Mr. Haney. You're kind of a hybrid <laughs> between agriculture and counterterrorism. So what they did is they created a special unit for me, and they pulled me out of agriculture called the Intelligence Review Unit in my home port in Atlanta, Georgia, and I began working on the hard cases, you know, the detailed analysis. And that's where my uh, entree into the intelligence branches began, was with that first created unit at my home port in Atlanta. So you, your job was, using your experience in the Middle East, knowledge of the language, knowledge of the culture, knowledge of Islam, was then to analyze intelligence and identify from that, see the patterns and identify the Islamic terrorists, connecting the proverbial dots, as many people say. Yeah, I often use the allegory, since I was an entomologist and I specialized in ants, to follow the trail and find the nest. Because Absolutely. that's essentially what counterterrorism is, is following the trail and then finding the nest. And careful attention to detail and close observation of behavior, you put those training and those qualities together, and that makes a good counterterrorism specialist. And you were successful. I mean, you, you identified many terrorists and got an award for that. I was actually awarded 10 times over the course of my career, twice by the FBI and several times by my own agency. 
So let's fast forward from the origins of the DHS into the portion of your career where you found yourself uh, now uh, tracking these ants, as you say, in the Department of Homeland Security in the Targeting Center. Tell us a little bit about what that work involved that ultimately led to uh, your investigation being shut down. Well, that particular case was called the Tablighi Jamaat Initiative. Tablighi Jamaat is a group out of the subcontinent of India out of a city called Deobande, which is in north-central Deoband, north-central India. Okay. So they're called Deobandes because that's where this movement originated in the 1860s. They're very closely aligned with Wahhabi style of Islam from Saudi Arabia. So when you hear the discussions about Saudi Arabia funding madrasas around the world, those are primarily the ones, the schools, the Islamic schools that they fund are within the Deobande Tablighi Jamaat movement. And I noticed that individuals were coming into America as early as 2006, three, four, five at a time. And I began interviewing them as they came through the port in Atlanta and then sending my information up to my colleagues at the National Targeting Center in Washington. And the long and short of it is that, that initial... Those initial observations grew from a local case to a national project, and then ultimately, with the authorization of the chief counsel of the Department of Homeland Security in August of 2011, it became what we call a global initiative, because we had connections to multiple countries, multiple organizations around the world, and they were operating here in the United States. And this story has a very local implication that we're going to share with our listeners after we have to take this break to honor our sponsors for this half hour but we'll get into how phillips work has a nexus right here in our backyard in the inland empire time for word from ed hoffman of wholesale capital corporation the place to go for your real estate lending needs residential and commercial and we appreciate very much ed's support of this program and the conservative cause in the inland empire back after this Hey, Larry Elder here. Now, if you're a homeowner thinking about refinancing or you'd like to be a homeowner and aren't sure where to start, call my friend Ed Hoffman at Wholesale Capital Corporation. Rates are great right now, and from what Ed tells me, there are a lot of great opportunities out there in real estate. You need a lender you can count on, and I can vouch for Ed. He'll deal with you straight and advise you like you're part of the family. Just give Ed a call at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. I know Ed. He's a good guy. He'll talk to you like a friend and won't make you feel like you've just walked into a shark tank. Now is the time to buy or refinance. Give my friend Ed Hoffman a call at Wholesale Capital Corporation. Again, 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. Or visit him online, wccloans.com. 855-640-2020. AM 590, the answer. This is Assemblywoman Melissa Melendez urging you to tune in to Unite IE Radio every Saturday afternoon at 4 p.m. on AM 590, the answer. Welcome back to the Unite Inland Empire radio program. This is probably one of the most important radio shows that we have done on Unite IE. We're visiting with former Department of Homeland Security 
uh, investigator, Philip Haney, who wrote the book, See Something, Say Nothing. And he was at ground zero as our government, as the government that was that is supposed to keep us safe, deviated from that dictate into the territory of shutting down the investigations and the the body of knowledge we were building within our government that was going to keep us safe from the worldwide jihad that was unfolding. Philip, you worked at the Department of Homeland Security. You were investigating the Tabliki Jamaat. You had some people in your sights. And subsequently, your program, after being being recognized with 10 awards uh, from the agency that was your employer, all of a sudden, your investigation was shut down. Tell us about that and then how that potentially led to something that happened in our backyard. It started in March of 2012. I was assigned to the National Targeting Center in Washington, D.C., and I was informed that the seven individuals from the State Department were going to come and have a meeting with management of National Targeting Center, NTC. I requested to be at the meeting because, as I found out, it was going to be about our Tablighi Jamaat initiative that I referred to earlier. I was given permission to attend it. So I'm in this upper room at the National Targeting Center looking out the window, and I see a white van pull up, and out come, one after the other, seven lawyers, just like Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, and all filed upstairs, and there were three SESs, three executive-level administrators from the State Department. We all gathered in this large room at the NTC with personnel from Customs and Border Protection, and they said, we have concerns about your focus on Tablighi Jamaat because it's not a designated terrorist organization and you may be violating their civil rights and civil liberties by implying or assuming that they're part of a terrorist organization Again, because this has not been designated yet. But don't you have to investigate them first to determine whether or not they're associated (laughs) with terrorism? It sounds like Alice in Wonderland, move down, move down, no room, no room, except it wasn't funny. Right. Very serious stuff. Mm -hmm. And we pointed out during the course of the conversation that the consular officers in the field around the world were members of Tablighi Jamaat were were, – common like Bangladesh or Pakistan or Afghanistan or India, that their consular officers were only approving 25% of the visa requests from these individuals. And there was silence in the room for about 10 seconds, which means they realized at that moment that it wasn't Customs and Border Protection that were focusing on Tablighi Jamaat that their own personnel within the State Department recognize that these individuals should not be allowed to come into the country. And then one of the lawyers raised his hand and said, where can we get that information to send out to the field? And at that moment, we thought the case was going to really go global, and we formed kind of a liaison partnership with personnel and State Department to work on this emerging threat around the world. But that's not what happened. The opposite happened. They ended up shutting down the case because of those aforementioned concerns about violation of civil rights and civil liberties and or privacy rights. Of foreigners. Of foreign nationals. Yes. 
now, not so, citizens. So effectively, were they effectively giving constitutional rights that only bestowed on U.S. citizens to individuals that aren't U.S. citizens? Is that effectively what happened? By default, they were extending protections and privileges granted to us by our Constitution to individuals living in foreign countries. Amazing. As though there was a constitutional right why for was them the State to come De- into the country. Why was the State Department why does the State Department get to control what Department of Homeland Security does? Because they issue visas. That's the connection. Department of Homeland Security doesn't issue the visas visas, State Department does. So if there's a gravitational f- policy force emerging within State Department driven by the Obama administration, then they're going to issue visas to individuals that they see as allies and friends, despite the evidence from the law enforcement side of the government, like us, that's saying that these people are a threat. You should not let them in. So they overrode us. They ran right over the top of us. And what happened to your investigation? They shut it down. And someone might say, that's a bold statement, Mr. Haney, but with the help of Judicial Watch organization in Washington, we FOIA'd my own case, Freedom of Information Act. And we received large downloads, caches of information with emails going back and forth between Department of Homeland Security and the State Department and basically have the smoking gun. They really did shut the case down out of concerns over violation of civil rights and civil liberties. And then you ask about connection. The case that I worked on, the Tablighi Jamaat Initiative, was related to the Darulum al-Islamiya San Bernardino Mosque. It was one of the organizations in this database that we have of 1,600 entries where individuals were transiting, crossing, coming actually literally and visiting that mosque. So that puts that mosque on the law enforcement radar automatically. That's one of the dots. You're saying individuals, these are individuals that are coming from these countries and coming into the United States and going to this mosque in the Inland Empire at this specific Yes, both ways. People coming in from foreign countries and also either lawful permanent residents, green card holders, or naturalized citizens, or even native-born citizens who are also involved. Remember what I said? Follow the trail. Yep. Find the nest. This is, for using the allegory, a nest, a place of concentrated activity. And so the premise all along is that Syed Farouk, who was affiliated with that mosque, who, by the way, was what is called a hafiz, somebody who has memorized the entire Quran, which means that he was well-known within that community because that's not something that everybody can do or will do. So he was a person of prestige and notoriety. They knew him. He attended that mosque and Tashfin Malik as well. Our premise is, my premise is, that we would have either put him on the no-fly list and watched him more carefully because of his affiliation with an organization with known derogatory, or Tashveen Malik, his pending fiancé, would have never been given a visa to come here in the first place. And I haven't even mentioned Enrique Marquez, the guy that supplied the guns. So what happened to you as a result of this? First, they deleted the records out of the system. 
But that wasn't enough. Then they came after me and opened up an investigation on me for putting the information in the system in the first place. Which was your job and and part of an official Department of Homeland Security initiative regarding Tabuki Jamaat. Yeah, keeping in mind again, I mentioned for a reason that the chief counsel of the Department of Homeland Security authorized the case in August of 2011. Plus, we had 1,200 law enforcement actions based on the case meaning refusal of entry, not allowing somebody to come into the country, cancellation of visas, those kind of things, 1,200. And all of those things you found out later were completely deleted from the database that you had built in order to track these people. Either deleted or just shut down. Just We won't work on it anymore. Amazing. And even in the book... Shocking, really. There's a letter I received, commendation for finding 300 terrorists related specifically in writing the Tablighi Jamaat Initiative. So we have three major indicators of how good of a case it was. Authorization by chief counsel, 1,200 law enforcement actions, and even a commendation letter of finding 300 terrorists. And despite all of that evidence, they still shut the case down. We know that the uh, Saudi Arabia fun- helped fund Tablighi Jamaat. And we also know who else the Saudis funded. Saudis funded the, well, they fund a lot of things. There's a connection between them and 9-11. It goes all the way back to 9-11. Right. So what was the Department of Homeland Security created for? To help prevent another 9-11. Because nobody was talking to each other. To connect the dots. To connect the dots. Right. So what happens if you start taking the dots? I was with uh, T. Boone Pickens. He's the famous oil wildcatter Mm -hmm. out of Texas. I was in his office in Dallas. He watches a big screen with all those stock market numbers, sure. you know, constantly changing like a kaleidoscope. And I was trying to think of an example to show him what it would be like for the government to pull information out of the law enforcement database. So I said, Mr. Pickens, what happens if I, we just use our imagination? I can walk over to that big screen right there and literally grab one of those numbers and just pull it right off the screen. Boink, it's gone. And then how about if I do one over there and maybe one over there? How long is it going to take before you'll be unable to recognize the trends in the market? Not too long, he said. I said, well, that's counterterrorism right there. You start pulling those numbers off the screen and you're going to have the same problem as you would removing those indicators. We're visiting right now with Philip Haney, former Department of Homeland Security uh, terrorist analyst uh, who wrote the book, See Something, Say Nothing. He's a whistleblower. And we're going to continue the conversation with him about about his experience on December 2nd and share that with you as soon as we get back from our break. Time for a word from Ted Hoffman of Wholesale Capital Corporation, the place to go for your real estate lending needs, residential and commercial. More with Philip Haney after this message. Hi, this is Ed Hoffman, President of Wholesale Capital Corporation, your local direct mortgage lender. We've been serving our community with personalized homeownership solutions for over 26 years with offices in Moreno Valley, Temecula, Corona, Downey, Westlake Village, and Covina to service all Southern California and Arizona. 
Today, we are experiencing excellent conditions in real estate and real estate financing. Interest rates are as low as they've ever been in our history, and real estate prices have come way up from the lows of 2010. If you've purchased a house in the last several years, there's a great chance that today your equity position is much better and available interest rates are much lower. Two factors that spell opportunity for you. If you want to find out what this means to you and you want to talk to a lender who will give you straightforward, honest direction towards an option that's best for you, call me toll-free at 855-640-2020. That's 855-640-2020. And listen to my show, The Main Event, Saturday, 9.30 a.m. and 9 o'clock p.m. And again, Sunday mornings at 8 a.m. Right here on AM590, The Answer. Licensed by California DRE, broker license number 01147747. And California Financers Lenders License number 603K610. Licensed by the California Department of Business Oversight number 603K610, NMLS 9873. AM590. The answer. Welcome back to Unite IE Radio. The ultra-liberal Bill Maher said that after the San Marino terrorist attacks, after the San Marino attacks, I heard all over TV, everyone was saying, if only Americans knew more about Islam, they wouldn't be so afraid. Actually, it's the reverse. They would be more afraid. They'd be knowledgeable, and he's one of the lone voices on this. On December 2nd, a day that really will live in infamy for San Bernardino, two individuals killed 14 people and wounded 22 others in the Inland Center, Inland Regional Center building. I was preparing for the radio show that day, got word of a, of a mass shooting, uh, ended up listening to the police scanner, was looped into the Larry Elder show, and we literally listened to the police scanner as they uh, fought to understand what had just happened, ultimately found the individuals driving back from Redlands, and of course we know what happened on the streets of San Bernardino. You, on the other hand, were doing something similar, and you saw the terror attack unfold. What, what went through your mind? As soon as I saw the news break and the name of the mosque, and or the name of uh, Said Farouk or Tashbin Malik. I was in Alexandria, Virginia, scanning the news, because that's what we do for a living, and I saw the pictures, and the news started coming up on the screen. And I literally sat up and yelled at the top of my voice at my computer. Nobody else was in the house. I just, that's my case. I knew immediately, just like you know your own son or daughter, that it was related, and I set off a sequence of events right there that's still going on till this very day. We will continue with Philip Haney after news, weather, and traffic at the bottom of the hour. Stay tuned. Welcome back to the Unite Inland Empire radio program, a very important show because we have in studio with us live today the individual that blew the whistle on the Department of Homeland Security being ha- having essentially the work that was being done inside the Department of Homeland Security was shut down by attorneys from the State Department and the Civil Rights Division within the Department of Homeland Security. It was Philip Haney that was doing the work. He wrote the book called See Something, Say Nothing. It's in bookstores everywhere. You definitely need to own it as a part of your library to understand the swamp creatures that live inside Washington, D.C., that are currently pushing back on the administration. What, uh, from your, your experience uh, with, you know, in, in your story, what else would you like to share with our listeners? Well, I'm resolute and determined that we're going to find, I'm going to find a way 
to help resolve this, the decisions and the policies that went into what led to San Bernardino. I, with the help of Judicial Watch, have, uh, as I mentioned earlier, FOIA'd Freedom of Information Act, my own case. And more recently, in the last month or so, we've received three signed letters, one from the Department of State, one from the Department of Homeland Security, Civil Rights and Civil Liberties, and one from the Department of Homeland Security, Customs and Border Protection, responding to Judicial Watch's request for documents uh, explaining why they shut the case down. Their response in signed letters is, in paraphrasing simple way, that the Tablighi Jamaat initiative never existed. Wow. Therefore, they can't provide any documents because wow. the case never existed. And I would just add that uh, destroying government documents is itself a felony. This is a very serious... This is built on top of how serious the San Bernardino attack was. And I should also mention that the Orlando with Omar Mateen is also related to exactly the same network as the one in San Bernardino. So you're not just talking about San Bernardino, you're also talking about Orlando. And all of those organizations and individuals are still operating on the ground in the locations around the country, not just in the Inland Empire, across the country. And so, I'll make a declarative statement. If we can't find the wherewithal to resolve why these events occurred and the disconnects and lapses that went into it, the abrogations of duty, then we're going to inevitably see more of the same kind of attack. And that's why I'm so resolute. I cannot simply stand passively and watch it happen. I am now bound by duty and honor to stay engaged in this until we finally get it resolved, either as a redeputized active duty within the federal government once again, or through an outside arena where we address it, let's say, through the legal process. Literally, American lives are still at stake, and we're still gambling with American lives. They're risking our safety because they are reluctant or refuse to acknowledge the uh, lapses and, and uh, failures in the process that led to San Bernardino. For example, I know what I'm saying may be taken as an exaggeration, and I wouldn't blame people, but you might recall Enrique Marquez. Yes. He, Do, bought, he bought the gun that's that right. the terrorists used. He's in jail now, but you know what he's in jail for? Marriage fraud. Among other things, but the biggest charge is multiple failed plots with Syed Farouk. Wait a minute. Syed Farouk is dead. So that means those multiple failed plots had to have happened before the San Bernardino shooting ever occurred, which means what? If they know that they, were, that they had multiple failed plots, what does that tell you? They knew about them and did not intervene. That's the side of the FBI. That's the federal law enforcement on the domestic arena. Maya's federal law enforcement on the international arena. And together, 
We're supposed to be cooperating and sharing information. But we didn't know what the FBI was tracking with Syed Farouk, and they didn't know what we were tracking with him on the other side of the fence. And that creates what I call a man-sized hole in the, in the wall. Somebody can walk right through it, and that's exactly what happened. Well, we just, a month or so ago, we had Robert Spencer on, and the FBI was had informants was just thinking about that. The terrorists that they're going to Garland, Texas, to kill as many of the people at the Draw the Profit event as possible, and the FBI stood back and did not a thing they, to stop that. They attack. were following the car into the Garland Center. The FBI agent literally took a picture following the death of those two terrorists, and law enforcement was never informed that these guys were on the way. That's my whole point. It's not just. San Bernardino or Orlando or Fort Hood or Garland or UK, we're seeing the same dysfunctional approach to protection of citizens, not only in America, but internationally. You may, you may not have an answer to this, but we'll see what you have, what you have. Throughout the Western world, United States, Europe, other places, is among the ruling elites, there is almost this widespread, not almost, not universal, but all, nearly universal affinity to, for Islam or unwillingness to see Islam anything other than a benign, wonderful religion of peace. You, having been inside and forced out, do you have any insight why that is so? Well, from my background in science, I look at it as a mathematical formula. Fear of Islamophobia, I mean fear of being called an Islamophobe, or fear of being called a racist. And on the other side of the equation is a fear of attack. So the question is, what mathematical symbol is in between those two statements? Fear of Islamophobia, is it greater than, less than, or equal to fear of attack? And up to this point, at least, the fear of being called politically incorrect racist Islamophobe is much greater than the fear of attack. If you reverse the equation, then obviously the responses to the attacks would be completely different, wouldn't they? If our fear of attack was greater than our fear of being called an Islamophobe, we would be responding in a totally different way. I'm angry, and I'll tell you why I'm angry. The more I... Every time I read your book or or listen to your story and uh, others similar to you who within the government have been shut down when they've broached this, if you have an auto automobile company that manufactures cars and they know that the car has a defect and they continue to manufacture those cars and in fact cover up their knowledge of the defect, ultimately the consumers are able to file a lawsuit and a complaint against that automobile manufacturer if their relatives die in a car accident as a result of that defect. They can sue the manufacturer. What you're describing to us is a defect within our government that refuses to do everything that they're supposed to do to keep us safe. They created the defect. They've covered up the defect. They've allowed the defect to continue on. Do the people who are victims of the San Bernardino terror attack, those that died as well as those that are wounded, don't they have a cause of action against our government for shutting down an investigation that would have directly led to the apprehension and in fact stopped the, the wheels that were in motion, these multiple terror plots as you described, they were, they were in motion. 
don't those people have a cause of action against our government for shutting down investigations that would have saved the lives of their family? The families of San Bernardino and Orlando and the other terrorist attacks are often so traumatized by what happened and sadly so misinformed by the statements that come out of the government that sometimes it takes them years to recover. And it's very, very difficult to form a coalition. You see the families that were killed by Palestinian terror attacks. It has been, what, 15 years they've been going through the legal process to try to get some remedy from the Palestinian Authority. And still to this day, the case continues to go on. Wow. That would probably, that would be a disincentive for people who want to try to carry on with their life to even try it. The system is not set up. Think of my own case. How many times? I've gone to Congress 55 times. That's my current chain of command. I've only spoken public before Congress once of those 55 times before Ted Cruz's Judiciary Committee on the 28th of June last year, willful blindness. All the rest of the times I've done everything I could to lay the information literally on the table. And up to now, the there's basically a resounding silence. Well, uh, you made a great point before, and I think that um, the greater than equal or less than sign, mm-hmm. fear of Islamoph- being called an Islamophobe versus fear of Islamic terrorism, for the individual, for the individual politician, for the individual government bureaucrat, your job is potentially at risk if you are a, quote, Islamophobe, unquote. Well, history is a fearsome woman. If she fastens her gaze on you, she doesn't blink. And if you are found on the wrong side of history and you stay there too long, she'll turn you into a stone. Think of Neville Chamberlain. When we think of his name, we have this picture in our mind of him standing with a paper in his hand. We'll have peace in our time. I have talked to people in Congress literally eye to eye and face to face. And they are perilously close to the point where they will be turned by history into a stone. Because it is their primary constitutional duty to protect the citizens from threat, both foreign and domestic. The swamp creatures shut you down as a Department of Homeland Security investigator. We've elected Donald Trump to go in and drain the swamp. The swamp creatures are pushing back. When we return from break, let's talk about what you're seeing unfold in Washington right now as Donald Trump attempts to shut down the swamp. Time for a word from the sponsor of this half of Unite, i.e. Radio, All-Star Collision, the place to take your car when you have an accident because they are truly the kings of rock and roll. Back after this. When you're in an auto accident, you want quality repairs done as fast as possible. All you need is All-Star. For 20 years, CarStar, All-Star Collision, and Corona has delivered quality work and customer service with honesty and integrity. So when the inevitable happens to you, all you need is CarStar, All-Star Collision. 951-279-9161. Mention AM590 and get a free rental car for up to five days or $100 off your repairs. CarStar, All-Star Collision, the kings of wreck and roll. 951-279-9161. AM590, the answer. This is Senator Mike Morrell asking you to tune in to Unite IE Radio every Saturday at 4 o'clock. 
on AM 590, The Answer. Welcome back to Unite IE Radio. Uh, John Adams said that facts are stubborn things, whatever we may want to choose to believe. However, Winston Churchill described the people usually take with facts, including regarding uh, Islam and the jihad. Men occasionally stumble over the truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing had ever happened. And you've experienced that personally in, in, in your career. So you've been watching Donald Trump. Are, what, if any, difference does having President Trump versus President Obama make regarding the jihad and Islamic terrorism? Well, as I watch him carefully, I'm beginning to see what I call a coherency in his policy, both domestic and foreign. He's a good observer, and what I think he's doing is brilliant. He's going to, like, in a sense, the homes of the leaders of different countries around the world. We're always more comfortable when we're at home, aren't we? And he's observing them and interacting with them in their home environment. And he's setting up and he's creating an approach that basically concedes and acknowledges and respects their position, but also at the same time stating plainly what the position of America is. And so he's... Bottom line, he's putting the ball in their court. If Islam is a religion of peace, basically, show us. Now's the time. Here we're going to give you every possible opportunity to show us that Islam is a religion of peace. Ready to go. That was the essence of his Saudi Arabia. He mentioned Islamic terrorism, something Barack Obama never would have if he was giving a speech inside Saudi Arabia. I think, what was the number, 31 or 21 times? 31. 31 times he mentioned that. So you're saying his strategy there is to create an environment that forces them to either put up or shut up, clean up your house, or... You're going to reveal yourselves to us if you don't. Is that essentially what you're saying? That's exactly right, because now they have been given a a silver platter opportunity. You right. say that you want to fight this, that you don't support terrorism, that you're you know for freedom. Well, then now we're going to give you the opportunity to show it. You're going to drive those people out of your places of worship and out of your countries and out of this world. But we're, we're not going to do it for you. We will help you because we agree in that. We need to get rid of terrorism. But it's going to have to be, you're going to have to take the lead on it first. Well, it has to be because we can, and being outside of that world, outside of Islam, we can't change or modify or reform Islam. Only, they, only the Muslims themselves can do that. Well, that's what we're constantly criticized for, us trying to change Islam. So... President Trump is basically calling their bluff. Okay, I'm not going to try to change it. I'm going to let you take care of the problem. I'm here to help you, but you're going to have to address it yourself. Is the key distinction, and among uh, others, Frank Gaffney has made this distinction, is not necessarily between supporting terrorism, using terrorism and violence for Islam and, and, all, and all everyone else, but whether you support Sharia and Islamic domination versus Muslims who want to coexist and have Islam just be one other religion among many others. That's a critical observation. The reason why is because terrorism, jihad, and attacks are tactics. What we really should be focused on is what the strategy, meaning the goal of the global Islamic movement is. 
The goal of the global Islamic movement is not terrorism or jihad attacks. It's implementation of Sharia law everywhere on the face of the earth. That's according to Quran 2, chapter 2, verse 191. Once we recognize what their goal is, then we can develop an effective response to it. But if we only fight tactics, tactics change like a kaleidoscope. We can never acquire the target because it's a moving target. Right, and then you know, war on terror. It's a war on a, a, a tactic. It'd be like instead of declaring war on Nazi Germany, you declare war on submarine attacks. That's right, or V-2 missiles or something, without ever acknowledging where they're actually coming from and or the reason why they're being shot in the first place because Hitler wanted to dominate the world. Oh, if you recognize that then you're going to configure your response in a macro way to ultimately stopping that. That is a key. That is a very, very important point. Does Donald Trump get that? Get the civilizational jihad? I believe that he's getting glimmers of it, and certainly in a clearer, more coherent way than anything that I've heard in the last 10 or 15 years. You traveled to Israel. Part of Donald Trump's tour, foreign policy tour, was to Israel. Big on the map of what we look at is this uh, promise to move the embassy to Jerusalem in recognition that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. You traveled there and noticed some things about, uh, you found some things. Tell tell us about your trip and what what you observed uh, in terms of this foreign policy issue. Well, part of the time I was there just recently, I was in the West Bank in a place called Beit Jala, which is fairly close to Bethlehem. And I found murals dedicated to jihadists. They weren't spray-painted or dirty. They were clean and bright. Members of the PFLP, Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine, which is a designated terrorist organization, right on the main street in Beit Jala, which is Mahmoud Abbas's backyard. That's part of his arena of authority. He's the head of the Palestinian Authority and the Palestinian Liberation Organization, and Fatah, all three of them, although they haven't actually had an election since 2006. So he's not actually an elected representative, but nonetheless, that's the place he's in. So it was easy for me to find contradictions to his premise or his statement to President Trump that we're raising our children and our grandchildren in peace when everywhere you go in the West Bank and in, in places like Bet Jal and Beit Lechem and Beit Sahur, you see murals and things dedicated to jihadists, people who killed Israelis, and maps of Palestine with no Israel whatsoever. That's what we're holding here. You brought this into the studio. Is something you picked up while you were there. It's a. It says Palestine. It's a flag like you'd hang from uh, your door. It says Palestine. It shows uh, essentially everything in the air, the territory of Israel as being Palestine. This is their worldview and their vision of their future is the destruction of Israel. Well, that's what's so important. We have developed foreign policy based on what we would like them to do or the way we think they should see the world. But when you go there and you're on the ground and you see the way they actually see the world... Palestine, there is no Israel, period. So, if we're going to develop an effective, coherent response to that ideology, 
we have to be honest enough to acknowledge that that's the way they see the world. Otherwise, whatever foreign policy or treaties or agreements that we make and ignore that, they're doomed to fail. Because You have to, you have to understand the opposition, the enemy. Well, you have to build your foundation on a so- your house on a solid foundation. Absolutely. More right. with Philip Haney after we take a break from our sponsor. This All-Star hour. Collision, the place to take your car when you have an accident because they are truly the kings of rock and roll. When you're in an auto accident, you want quality repairs done as fast as possible. All you need is All-Star. For 20 years, CarStar, All-Star Collision, and Corona has delivered quality work and customer service with honesty and integrity. So when the inevitable happens to you, all you need is CarStar, All-Star Collision. 951-279-9161. Mention AM590 and get a free rental car for up to five days or $100 off your repairs. CarStar, All-Star Collision, the kings of wreck and roll. 951-279-9161. AM590, the answer. Welcome back to the Unite Inland Empire radio program. Again, we're so privileged to have in studio, live with us, the author of the book, See Something, Say Nothing, Philip Haney, Department of Homeland Security whistleblower who's on a personal crusade all across the country to get this information, the story, and what it means out, and also to correct the current direction. You travel around the United States. Give us a sense here in California of what you're seeing as you travel and tell your story. Well, one of the great privileges and honors that I've had as I've traveled around is the opportunity to see the spark of hope ignite in people's eyes across the country. I saw it in the lead-up to the election, and I said many times that Donald Trump is going to win the presidency because the mainstream media is not measuring the strength of the lower current, the, the groundswell current, and... I'm very thankful that what I saw really was true. It wasn't just my hopeful imagination thinking I saw something. I really did see it. And compared to what I went through, being investigated nine times and having my cases shut down and seeing things like San Bernardino and Orlando, that's why I consider it such a great honor. Because after everything that I went through, I had the opportunity to see emerging out of the other side of the equation this response and that's why I'm so serious about it. Once you see it, you can never unsee it. You know, it's it's very, very motivational. I, I'm a steward of this story and a guardian of it, but it's not my story. It belongs to the American people. Wow, that's powerful. And you still consider yourself under the same oath as a law enforcement officer that you took when you were working for DHS. Every law enforcement and military person who took the oath feels the same way. Even if they're no longer active duty, their vow never retires. Mm. And at any given moment in time, when they're asked to help fulfill that vow, I can guarantee you they will do it. We cannot thank you enough for joining us on today on Unite IE Radio. I know you were at the Redlands Tea Party Patriots on Thursday evening and everything you're doing for the cause of protecting our country and protecting freedom. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Join us again next week Unite IE Radio. When you're in an auto accident, you want quality repairs done as fast as possible. All you need is All-Star. For 20 years, CarStar, All-Star Collision, and Corona has delivered quality work and customer service with honesty and integrity. So when the inevitable happens to you, all you need is CarStar, All-Star Collision. 951-279-9161. 
Mention AM590 and get a free rental car for up to five days or $100 off your repairs. Car Star, All-Star Collision, the kings of wreck and roll. 951-279-9161. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.